Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, hi again, everybody. I'm Tom Brenneman, and you are dialed in. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details, or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. You know, Kenny Anderson was one of the all-time greats. Uh, He spent his entire career with the Cincinnati Bengals. He even came back as a coach. He was an offensive coordinator. He went to Little Augustana College, was selected in the third round of the 1971 NFL Draft by the Bengals, 16 years. Now listen to this. He led the league in passer rating four times. Completion percentage, three times. Passing yards, twice. He's been an MVP. He's been the NFL Offensive Player of the Year. That's the year he led the Bengals to the Super Bowl. He set the all-time NFL record a year later for completion percentage in a season. He held that record for over 30 years before Drew Brees broke it back in 2009. He still holds all the Bengals franchise records for passing yards, attempts, uh, and after his professional career is over, he's done a little bit of everything. We mentioned as a coach, He was a local TV sports anchor for years and years and years. Uh, He even coached for the Pittsburgh Steelers, for God's sakes, and won a Super Bowl ring with the Steelers. It is an honor and a pleasure to have not only one of the all-time greats uh, at quarterback in the NFL, but one of the all-time Hall of Fame guys, and that's Kenny Anderson. Kenny, Hall of Fame ring with the Steelers. Are you wearing that thing around much at all, or is that just tucked away somewhere? Uh, it, it's kind of just tucked away somewhere. Uh, it, it doesn't make many appearances here in Cincinnati. Um, you know, but I tell people I get a lot of grief for that, but I wasn't the one that was, uh, you know, that left Cincinnati voluntarily when I was coaching. I, I was kind of asked to leave, and, you know, you got to find work. And I was in Jacksonville for uh, four years, and then uh, – you know, Jack Del Rio, and uh, I guess the six years he was there, he fired 19 assistant coaches, and I lasted four years. I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> and then had a chance to go to, to work with, with Mike Tomlin uh, in Cincinnati or in Pittsburgh. You know, my connection there was Bruce Arians, who was the offensive coordinator. So it was uh, – there are more similarities than dissimilarities between the Bengals and Steelers than you might think. Really? What, what, what would yes. be some of the similarities? Because the first thing, Kenny, that any, anybody would say is, you know, the Steelers have a, a pile of uh, Super Bowl trophies and the Bengals are still in search of number one. Well, you know, I would say the first thing that uh, in, in three years with the Steelers, I never had a meal on a team plane. Uh, before we left, uh, you know, the, the, the 
to get on on the plane in our waiting area in Pittsburgh, uh, you would grab a a deli sandwich and a bag of chips and a candy bar or something like that, and you would get a drink on the plane. And then after the game, uh, before you got on the plane and you walk on, there's a, a a tray there with hamburgers or cheeseburger or hamburgers or chicken sandwiches. Which one do you want? And you would take that on the plane. So uh, you know they. You know, everybody says sometimes the Bengals throw nickels around like manhole covers. And, uh, you know, I, I say the Steelers uh, were, were not real uh, thrifty as well. I want to go back to you growing up in Batavia. Uh, what was life like in the Anderson household growing up in a town? That's a small little town. No, it, it is. Uh, it was great. Um you know, the, my graduating class in high school was 125. And so if you wanted to play sports, if you wanted to play basketball or wrestle, you had to go out for a fall sport, football across country. If you wanted to play baseball or run track in the spring, you had to go out for basketball or wrestling. If you wanted to play football across country in the fall, you had to go out for baseball or, or track in the, in the spring. That was just, well, most of the coaches coach multiple sports anyway, but that was the way to, to keep the numbers up. And, and and I really, that was really a pleasure for me. I mean, we were outside all the time, you know, playing. And, and I had the, the advantage that uh, my backyard ran right into Dan Issel's backyard. Yeah. Uh, All-American at UK, member of the uh, NBA Hall of Fame right now. And, you know, uh, he, he played baseball. He played football a, as well. And, you know, we're always out in the driveway shoveling snow if it was uh, in, in the winter to play hoops. But. I did have one big advantage that my dad was uh, the high school custodian. And if they had a game on a Friday night or Saturday night, he had to go in and clean the gym the next day. And man, a lot of times my friends, we, we would go down there while he's working. Uh, he'd go into the, the head coach's office and, and break out the, the rack of basketballs that uh, the varsity <laughs> used. And, and we'd play basketball all afternoon while he's working. You know, I was going to ask you about Dan Issel because when I was a kid and before my dad got the job with the, with the Reds, uh, he was announcing the old ABA, uh, the American Basketball Association, and I was a ball boy for the visiting team. And, and the one mo most vivid memory that I have um, was playing the Kentucky Colonels, where Dan Issel played before <laughs> the league's merge, and he went to the NBA in a in phenomenal career in Denver primarily. But I just remember he had, he had no teeth. No front teeth. And, and, you know, back in those days, basketball players weren't wearing mouth guards like they are now. Did he have those knocked out? Do you remember back when you were in high school or something? No, it was seventh or eighth grade. And we were uh, practicing. I think it was during practice at uh, McWayne Grade School. That's where, uh, you know, we uh, the seventh and eighth grade teams practiced and played. And he got tripped and he went down. And the first thing that hit was his mouth and uh, his front tooth. He stuck in the floor. So he hadn't had them ever since. That's unbelievable. I've always wondered that. He was such a cool guy, and so was Louis Dampier, and Artis Gilmore was on that team. Um, you know, my kids went, uh, go, go, went, or are going to a high school, public high school, where it's 120 in a graduating class. So I get what you're talking about playing multiple sports. Um, but you're still a small town, and frequently great athletes in those smaller schools uh, can get overlooked. Uh, were you recruited by bigger schools or was there something about Augustana that you liked better than anywhere else? Well, I was a little small in, in high school, you know, where Dan was already 6'9", and he was being recruited by just about everybody in the country. So you had a lot of people there looking at you. Um, also, we had a, 
Uh, he was, I say Dan was a year older than I was. We also had a baseball player named Byron Von Hoff, who was a, a year older than I was, and uh, ended up being drafted uh, very high by the New York Mets. And that was in the age of uh, Seaver and Kuzman, all those young players for the young Miracle Mets. Well, Byron was in that group. Unfortunately, he missed spring training. He had to do uh, his six months active duty uh, for the Army Reserve. And then when he got back to spring training, uh, the other guys were already up with the big league team. They tried to rush him through uh, spring training, and he threw out his arm and really never played after that. So there were a lot of baseball scouts around. So I always thought baseball was probably my best sport. But, uh, you know, my driver's license at 16 said 5'5", 155. So a lot of guys weren't interested in that. So had a lot of schools like Augustana I could have gone to, but uh, a lot of kids in my town uh, went there. It was a, a Lutheran college, and uh, so I felt very comfortable there. Went there to play basketball and baseball. And uh, in June, before I went to, to college, my high school football coach says, Kenny, you know, you ought to try out for the football team. And so uh, I think the letter is dated uh, June 29th that uh, I wrote Ralph Storenko, the head coach, could I try out? And, you know, at a Division three school in those days, they're looking for warm bodies and and there was no scholarship money. <clears throat> so I ended up uh, making the football team. And by the, the second game of the year, I went in and I became the starting quarterback on the varsity after that. Uh, and then uh, football season ended and I was going there to play basketball. Now I'm a month late for basketball. I don't even get a, a practice uniform. So I'm playing on the freshman team. And, uh, you know, I'm dressing for the varsity and we're in the Chicago area near my hometown. And one of the starting guards uh, had 20 points in the first half. He did something to upset the coach, and he got benched the second half. He put me in. I had 20 the second half. <laughs> from then on, we were the starting guards on the varsity. So I, I played three years of varsity basketball. And uh, then the baseball coach said, and we're, we're hitting in the bus barns. And at that time, I was a little tired, you know, going two sports back to back and trying to, to study a little bit. So I never did play baseball. But I was a catcher, and I always told Bench, I said, you know, if I had played baseball, they may never heard of you. <laughs> when, did you when, when did you go through the growth spurt? I mean, because you were saying, you know, your driver's license is saying in high school, 5'5", five, five, whatever. You're, you're a big, strong guy. When did that happen? You know, it started when I was in college. You know, I think I went there at 6'1", you know, and about 180, and then I got up to 6'2", and Maybe it's because I discovered beer when I, you know, about that time. And, I, you know, I put on some weight up to, to 215. And so now all of a sudden now, you know, I've got the physical dimensions for an NFL quarterback. And, you know, got real lucky because uh, my senior year, uh, Pete Brown, uh, Mike's brother, uh, was the head of the scouting department. He was at a Notre Dame game uh, one Saturday afternoon, and I was playing Valparaiso in Valparaiso, Indiana, that night. So he went over to that game. So he was the first one that saw me play. That's amazing. You get drafted in the third round in 71. You mentioned Pete Brown. Um, did you know who Paul Brown was? Oh, heck yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, I grew up in the Chicago area, a big Bears fan, and, you know, uh, Billy Wade was the first quarterback I really liked, and, uh, you know, Rudy Bukic. And, and so, you know, you're, you're following the NFL, and I was always a, a big football fan. So, yeah, I was very well, well, well aware of Paul Brown. And, you know, when you come now, and we had Mike Reed on the program. We've had uh, others on the program who 
you know, their first experience with Paul Brown or the first time they met him, what kind of impression he made upon them. You recall that day? Uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, the draft in those days was in January, the end of January. And, uh, you know, during the season, uh, the Bengals coaches went out on Saturdays and scouted. And so uh, Bill Walsh actually came up to uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, and saw me play against Carroll College. Uh, and then went uh, after the game, he took a flight and got to Cleveland for the Bengals game the next day. So he had been there. Mike Brown had come out to Rock Island to watch me play. Uh, right after the season, you know, Bill had come out uh, to, to Rock Island to work me out in our old gym. And uh, so, yeah, I was very well of, of the organization. And, you know, when I got down there, the, the, I was drafted on the first day and they called me and I caught a flight the next morning, went to Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, the first thing they did was take me into Paul's office. And uh, that was uh, quite an intimidating experience. What was intimidating about it? Well, behind his desk and, you know, I mean, there's pictures of him and Otto Graham and, you know, the success that he's had. And here's the new franchise the year before. Uh, gosh, they, what, they won their last seven games in a row, I think, uh, to win the division, go to the uh, the playoffs for the first time. I think that the youngest NFL franchise to go to the playoffs. So there, you know, he had a, a tiger skin rug on the floor. And so, uh, yeah, I was pretty impressed. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Uh, your, your quarterback coach, Bill Walsh. Now, look, guys, you know, when they go on to achieve bigger and better things and someone make the argument, you know, that he's the greatest coach of all time or one of the greats, certainly. What was he like? What was it like being around him? He was a young guy, just like you were obviously a very young guy. Um, It was great. And they didn't have the rules then. And so I, I signed my first contract uh, the night that I was there at 10 o'clock uh, at night, uh, went in with Mike Brown to negotiate my contract, and they offered me a, a three-year contract for 18000 20, and 22 and a $7,500 signing bonus. And I'm thinking, man, I like the 18. Uh, if I didn't make it, I had a teaching job lined up in Chicago with my uncle, who's my idol, uh, teaching math and coaching high school football and basketball with him. And he said, Kenny, go ahead and take it. Uh, he, he said, you know, your starting teacher's salary is 5000 So for some reason, I, I said, you know, Mike, I want a $10,000 signing bonus. And he pulled out a check made out to me for $7,500 and said, this is what you're going to get. I said, fine, where do I sign? And he <laughs> said, I tell you what, if, if you make the 40-man roster, we'll give you the extra $2,500. So, uh, so I moved down to Cincinnati, uh, you know, the beginning of February and met three days a week with Bill. And literally, we I, I didn't throw a football for a long time. It was just working on the drops you know, where I would stand in place just to get the feel of moving my feet in a three-step drop. Okay, now this is standing in place. I'm not going anywhere. It's one, two, three, and cock your arm like you're going to throw, then a five-step, then a five and a hitch. And then the next week, we would walk back and do the same things. And he said, okay, now here's the route here. It's going to be 82 ZN. It's five, and, you know, and we're talking about the offense at the same time. And it was the old 16-millimeter film, and I had a – he gave me a projector in my apartment, and – a stack of films, and he said, all right, take these home with you tonight and, and write down all the offensive formations. And I'd do that, and I, I'd go back, I'd take the, the the stack of films, put them on his desk, and he said, okay, now take these back again with you and, and write every defensive front. So, you know, I did that, and it was so helpful to me to have that one-on-one -on -one and 
had I not had I not gone to Cincinnati and and had Bill Walsh to, to, to kind of take this piece of clay and mold it into whatever he wanted it to be, uh, I, I wouldn't have made an NFL team. I and by that September, I'd have been at Nutria High School coaching football and basketball and teaching math. Your first year, you play in seven games. Um, you know, then you, you you move on to become the starter a year later. Ten and four. Uh, eventually, you win the AFC title. You get to the playoffs. When people watch regular season football, Kenny, and then they watch postseason football, is there a difference between the two in terms of level of play and intensity? Well, you know, I, you know, you think you're intense every game, but you know, you go and you know, my first playoff game was 1973 down in Miami when they had those great teams, and uh, you know, we we were down there and. Uh, you know, it was a cold week in Cincinnati, and Paul Brown always believed in sleeping in your own bed as much as you could. And so we we practiced here all week, and we caught a fl uh, flight to Miami on Saturday, got down there. And it's, you know, one of those mid-80 humid days in, uh, in in Miami. And that's when I realized that it's it's tougher going south at the end of the year than it is north. You know, going south, it was physical. I mean, it, you, you, you know, you kind of hit the wall at, at certain points. And you know, in that game, we lost our, our top running back, Essex Johnson. And, uh, you know, he went out in the first quarter. We got beat in a close game, you know, down there. And so that was kind of my, my first ex experience with it. You know, you're excited for it. And then a couple of years later in 75, uh, we're 11-3, and three, I believe. And there was only one wild card in those days. And, and the Steelers won the division at 12-2. and two. And so we went out to, uh, to play in Oakland. And of course, in those days, you know, the, the, the dynasties were the, the Miami Dolphins, the Oakland Raiders and, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think we got beat 31 to 28 out there. And I remember driving down to win the game at the end and, you know, going to throw the ball and got sacked by Ted Hendricks. And uh, so then it was a while, you know, it was kind of frustrating. Uh, Bill Walsh left after that year. Paul Brown retired and uh, turned the, the team over to Bill Johnson as our head coach and you know, we, we played well in, in 76 and 77, and, you know, injuries kind of crop up. We weren't a very good team. And, you know, in, in 78, uh, we were playing up uh, our sixth, sixth exhibition game, and we're playing uh, the Packers in Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, we got a big lead at halftime. If I go out to start the second half, and in the first series, I hit my hand on the helmet and broke mm -hmm. my throwing hand and missed the – the, the, the first four weeks of the season. And, you know, we started off 0-4 and, and going out to play the 49ers. And uh, a lot of rumors that they were going to fire Tiger. And, and I really loved him as a head coach, as a person. And I went in on, on Monday and told the doctor, cut the cast off, I'm playing. And uh, so I, I was not real effective. And they fired him on the plane on the way home. And, you know, then 80, 79 was an, an awful, awful team for the Bengals. And of course, Forrest Gregg comes in, in 80, and, you know, you didn't have to worry about intensity for a playoff game because Forrest made sure you had intensity for every game. <laughs> you know, you, you look at the, the – the, I want to back up just real quick because you were there, you worked very closely, as you just talked about with Bill Walsh, and, and of course, people, um, you know, that are old enough to remember, uh, they all walk around and they wonder what could have or what should have been. Um being in the quarterback room with Walsh, you mentioned Tiger Johnson. Um, were you surprised Johnson got the job when Paul Brown stepped away and not Bill Walsh? Not really. 
you know, and, and I tell people, as much as I, I love Bill, uh, Tiger was a great coach. I mean, he was a great player as a center for the 49ers, and, and he was a great coach. And I, I, my feeling at that time was that he was more ready to be a head coach than Bill was. You know, at, at that point, Bill was still a little, I thought, too close to the players. I mean, we had a great time with Bill. I mean, he might meet us out for a beer after the game, something like that. Um, you know, of course, in hindsight, to, to see what happened, you know, Bill went to the, the Chargers and the Stanford and the 49ers, you know, it would have probably would have been different had he stayed. But I, in that moment in time, I thought that Tiger Johnson was the correct choice. All right, 81, um, the first game of the year. You throw a couple of interceptions in the season opener. You guys are down 21 nothing against Seattle. Turk Schonert comes into the game, takes over for you at quarterback. Forrest Gregg pulls you as a starter at halftime. Um, the team goes on to win the game. What happened that night, the following day, uh, maybe a day or two later, between you and Forrest Gregg? Anything? Well, yeah, a, a lot happened, and, and you know, you're absolutely correct that Turk Schoenert came in. Turk was our third-string quarterback. In 1980, we uh, drafted my replacement, Jack Thompson, the, the throwing Samoan, and he was hurt, and he couldn't play, so Turk is the one that, that, that came in to play. And, and I think, you know, leading up to that, uh, you know, it, it's everybody wanted Jack Thompson. You know, I'd been hurt a lot in 79, and my career had kind of gone down a little bit. I, I knew we were going to be pretty good. You know, we, we only end up six and 10 and 80, but I, I knew we were going to be better. And then, you know, but everybody's clamoring for Jacks. So I just put too much pressure on myself. And, you know, you can't play and try to be perfect. And, and that's what I did that first game. And I was awful. I deserved to be benched. In fact, I wish you would have pulled me earlier, saved me some misery. <laughs> um, but, you know, af after the game, you know, went back and, you know, you're trying to console yourself and have a beer. And, uh, you know, a guy could say, hey, I just heard on, uh, on the news that, uh, that uh, Turk's going to start next week. You're not going to start. And I go, what? And I, uh, I called Lindy and Fonte and, you know, I went down there and he said, well, you know, we're kind of thinking about it, you know, but uh, talked to Forrest and we had a long talk and, and, and he said, all right, you know, meet, meet me in here at, at, at eight o'clock on, on Wednesday morning. So I go back and on our off day, I get a call. They had a, a running back in town. They wanted to work out. And could I come down and throw to him? And I go, they don't have anybody else to do it. Maybe they just want me down to see if I can still throw. And, uh, you know, I met with Forrest on, on Wednesday morning, and we, we went through a lot of different scenarios. Is it better if I start? Is it better if I come off the bench um, if we need me? And then finally he says, Kenny, what do you want to do? I said, I want to start. He said, okay, you're starting. So that's uh, – then I started thinking about it. Oh, geez, we're playing the Jets this week. It's the New York Sack Exchange. You know, Gaston Klecko, Marty Lyons, Abdul Salam. Maybe I shouldn't be playing this game. <laughs> but uh, we went there and uh, – I'm a little nervous anyway, and, and, and we're playing at, at the old at Shea Stadium, and uh, the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament is going on the same weekend. And our offensive line always went over early. They get a hotel van, and, and we get there, and we have no offensive line. And I go, oh, what the heck? And, you know, we got the, the police out looking for them, and we got to warm up. We still don't have an offensive line. The starters aren't there. Now I'm really getting nervous, and uh, well, the, the cab, the, the van driver, take it, took him the, the Yankee Stadium rather than Shea Stadium. Now with traffic, they're struggling to get there, so they come out to warm up. They got to go in and get taped after warm ups, 
And, uh, you know, during the week that week, they were kind of joking with me. We get in a team, and the first pass, I throw, hey, Kenny, which way are you going to throw so we can make the tackle after you throw an interception? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I go out for the first play, and I think, uh, you know, Lindy Infante was a, a great offensive coordinator. And, you know, I said, well, he'll let me get in the flow of the game, hand off a couple of times. Well, the first play's a pass. And so I get in the huddle, and uh, I go, all right, you're assholes. The first play is going to be a pass. It's going to be the right, just in case something bad happens, go make the tackle. And everybody had a chuckle, and we went on to win 31 to 30, I think, that game. Great game. And of course, the rest is history. We ended up 12 and 4, winning the division. Well, and you end up as a league MVP. I mean, th that's one of the things that is just staggering. And, and now, hearing after what happened halftime of that game, and, you know, you talking with Forrest and, 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 and moving on to the Jets, but I mean, you said you're a nervous type, and here you are in New York. I mean, who would have ever thunk that year you go on and you win the MVP, you throw for over 3,700 yards, I think it was, uh, 29 touchdowns, you lead the league, and ironically, touchdown to interception ratio. And here the Cincinnati Bengals are going to the Super Bowl, and you're the most valuable player in the league. Unbelievable stories. Oh, yeah. No, it was – it was it was a fun ride, you know, and that was the the first playoff game ever in Cincinnati that year. You know, we played Buffalo, and uh, was a great playoff game. I think we won a twenty eight twenty one, and you know, you talk about a crowd making a difference. Uh, they had taken a timeout; they couldn't get a playoff, and then came back after the timeout. And this is when the you know we had just scored to take the lead, and after timeout they come out and still had to take a delay a game because of crowd noise. And uh, they couldn't convert, and uh, and we win the game. So we owe, we owe the fans a, a big thanks for that one. And of course, next week, uh, you know, we go out, and it's, the temperature got real cold for some yeah, reason. And yeah, you know, it's, it's fifty nine below with the wind chill. And, and guys, we're at the hotel the night before. Guys, cars won't start. They come down to the game. We're hitching rides any way that we can. And um, but uh, you know, that was one of. I, I think, you know, you talk to the guys on that team, one of our, our proudest accomplishments that we could go out into conditions like that and, and, and perform. And, you know, everybody said, well, it's unfair. You, you know, uh, Miami, or they, uh, the Chargers just played in Miami the week before. It's 80, and, and now it's minus 59, and that's not fair to them. And I said, you know what? We were out in San Diego earlier in the year and beat their ass. I mean, it wasn't close. And had they won that game, we'd have played the championship game in San Diego. So we earned that right. But, uh, you know, Tom, my, my favorite story about uh, the championship game is they, they brought in heated benches that we had never seen before. And so it's in the first quarter, and, and I'm over, uh, I go off the field, and, and luck, luckily I've got my helmet on, and I, they got little slots for your feet to go in. And so I, I put my feet in there. I'm sitting on my hands. Somebody throws a cape over me, and a couple minutes later, there's a, a big roar. And I think, is there a turnover? Am I going back in the game? And uh, so I stand up to see, and my feet don't come out, and I go down, and the first thing that hits is my face mask, and I'm seeing stars. And I'm calling for Marv Pollins, the trainer. I said, Marv, get some smelling salts, do something. I, I said, I can't get knocked out of the game falling off the bench. You know, they didn't have as many cameras in those days, and there were no <laughs> cell phones, so nobody caught it. But, you know, in today's world, Somebody would have seen it. They probably would have called down from the, the press box. They would have gone into concussion protocol and not finished the game. <laughs> Never heard that story. That's a great story. Um, when, when, walk me through, Kenny, because I was a senior in high school, 
And I mean, when you're a senior in high school, there was nothing cooler than, than your team, hometown team, going to the Super Bowl. I, I mean, I can remember almost every single moment. I, I mean, you know, of that whole ride through the season and, and so forth. But walk me through being down in the third quarter. It's a 20-7 to game. You get the ball inside the five. You get the ball down to the one. Now, much has been made of the inability to get into the end zone. And it's not Monday morning quarterbacking. I'm just kind of curious. What did you think of the play call? You got big Pete Johnson down there, right? Weighing 270 mm-hmm. pounds, whatever he weighed. Uh, what, what, what are you thinking about as the plays are coming in? And, and, and this, is, this is the biggest moment of the game. Well, I, I had no question about the play calls. I mean, you know, we had been so successful, uh, you know, in, in short yardage and goal line. I mean, we had Pete, he might have been listed at, at 245, but he was probably 270. You know, we had another big blocking back, Charlie Alexander, um, a great, you know, we're, we're talking about Munoz, Montoya, Lapham, Blair Bush, Mike, we had a, a good offensive line. So, no, that was, uh, uh, you know, no problems right there. Um, I apologize for that. That's all right. Um, so, but, you know, it was that was not what lost us the game. It was, you know, the turnovers in the first half to put us down 20 to nothing. You know, we had kicked off to San Francisco. They fumbled the opening kickoff. We got a great field position and got down to the five-yard line. I, I threw an interception. We are trying to put three receivers to the left. We're going outside to pick for Isaac Curtis to come underneath, and, and Dwight Hicks. Uh, makes the interception, and they go down to get the first score. And, and you know, we were going to at least get a, a, a chip shot field goal from Jimmy Breach. And, you know, that, that play haunted me from years until I, I saw Hicks at uh, a, uh, a celebrity golf tournament. He says, Kenny, I'm surprised you're talking to me. And I said, oh, that was a long time ago. I've forgotten that. Yeah, right. Well, he, he said, I want to tell you, I blew the coverage. I was in man coverage on Kreider on the, the slot. I should have gone with him to the corner. I, I, I stood there and was there for the interception, so I shouldn't have been there. So, you know, we had that one, and then, uh, you know, we're moving the ball in, in the second quarter, and I hit Chris Collinsworth, you know, down around the 10 for yep. first down. He fumbled it. They recovered. Uh, you know, now it's, uh, you know, 14 to nothing, and, uh, you know, they're kicking off, uh, you know, right before halftime, and uh, they squib kick it, and we muff it. They recover it, getting a field goal. Kicking off again, do the same thing. We muff it they get another field goal to put it in. So it was, we kind of self-inflicted that game. And, you know, uh, I, I, to this day, I, I will always believe that we were the better team, but we didn't play like it that day. At the time of your retirement, Kenny, you had thrown for the seventh most passing yards in the history of the National Football League. Seventh most. Five of the six guys in front of you are all in the Hall of Fame. I mentioned you had led the NFL in quarterback rating four times, completion percentage three times, passing yards twice, four Pro Bowls, MVP of the league. Take your team to the Super Bowl. You're asked this question all the time, Kenny. And, and I mean, listen, um, I told the story earlier. You're old enough to remember. I worked alongside of Ron Santo, the former Cub, great third baseman. Oh, yeah. Uh, who, who, from a time as a child growing up, he was diagnosed with diabetes. As he got older, um, there, there were incredible repercussions from that disease. He ended up having both of his legs amputated. 
but he still kept going strong and working in the broadcast booth. He was my partner with the Cubs when I was there. I was there every year in the winter, Kenny, uh, out in Arizona, uh, when he would be waiting on the call from the Hall of Fame. And every single year, that call never came. Uh, and they didn't put him in until after he had died, which, which was just, it, it, it's criminal beyond description. I only bring all of this up because I, I knew him well enough, like he was a second father to me, to know that there were parts of him that were consumed by that vote. Um, are you consumed by the Hall of Fame? No. No. It, it, would it be great? Yeah. You know, you know I'm, I'm a kid that grew up in a small town. You know, and, and, and I made it out of Batavia. And, you know, you, you think if you're an MVP of the, of the National Football League, you're the biggest athlete to come out of that town. Well, I was always second fiddle to Dan Issel. So, you know, I, you never, I never played for the accolades. And, you know, so I everything that's happened in my career, playing, you know, 16 years in one place, you know, is, uh, wow, that was fantastic. And Cincinnati was the perfect place for me. You know, it was a city I felt very comfortable in and, you know, small enough that I wasn't, you know, consumed by, you know, I, I would probably, you know, I'd, I'd gotten swallowed up if I had to go to New York or, you know, but um, so, no, you know, it came out. The thing I was the only time I was disappointed is, you know, the first time I was eligible and uh, I got to the final 15 and they told me, you know, be sitting by your phone at, at two o'clock this afternoon. And so I was and the, the phone never rang. And uh, that was was a tough night. But other than that, and you know, I mean, I got to go in the Bengals first class in the Ring of Honor. I, I'm very proud about that. And, you know, the Hall of Fame is great, but I'm a part of a more exclusive club. And, and, and that's uh, the, the NFL Man of the Year uh, when I was selected in 1975. And there's only one of those selected every year. So that's a, a pretty exclusive club. And, and I'm very proud of that as well. You know, but Kenny, but, 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 I mean, in, in researching this interview and, you know, you hear it here in Cincinnati all the time. And I know you had moved away for a while and now you're back and, and our city is, is better for it that, that you and your family are back here living here. Um, but, you, you, you know, you look at some of the guys. OK, and, 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 I, and, 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 and I look at the late Kenny Stabler as an example. OK, you uh, throw far more touchdown passes than he does far more yards than he does. Uh, people forget what a great runner you were. You ran for over 2,000 yards in your career. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, you know, your touchdown, you may not have had as many touchdowns as, say, Dan Fouts, who's in the Hall of Fame, but they were throwing the ball 15 and 20 times more per game than you were. But your numbers are so similar to those two guys. Now, some might say that Stabler, and I think it for a long time, uh, and, and, and the numbers and the names don't lie, uh, that they kept guys out of the Hall of Fame or made them wait longer than some others because they didn't win a Super Bowl. Do you think that that's held true for you? Um, I, I think that's part of it. I think if you look, probably the only position uh, that's judged by Super Bowl championships is the quarterback position. You know, if you're a, if you're a tackle uh uh, a linebacker, a defensive back, a running back, you know, that's not one of the criteria. But I, I think for the voters, a lot of times it's, you know, have you won a world's championship? You don't go around promoting yourself. You're a good friend and my good friend, D David Kabicki, is one of many out there that, that, that are doing anything and everything they can. 
if someone wanted to 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 write a letter to um, you know call somebody on the phone contact them via social media who are the guys at this point in time that will decide whether or not you get to the Hall of Fame well there is a, a senior committee uh, and they're the ones that uh, that select the candidates they, they get together and they've upped it from you know one a year to now three a year where it's be two former players and a contributor. And so I, I'm so excited. Uh, the first year they did this, a Kenny Riley, a teammate that, that gets gets to go in. And uh, I'm just so sorry that he's not the one that gets to walk up on the stage. It's got to be, you know, his son. But um, so they make the decision uh, and they select them. And it, it's uh, now technically they, they still have to go through the vote of the whole committee. But I, I don't think it's, I think it's only happened once where, Whoever the, the senior committee uh, selected didn't didn't get elected that first year. Well, Kenny, everybody's rooting like heck for you. I mean, it is just beyond beyond comprehension to me. And I don't say this because I'm a Cincinnatian uh, and a Bengals fan, which admittedly I am. Uh, it, it, it's just mind boggling to me. Um, shift gears to the Bengals today. Um, would you have ever imagined back in your playing days? And, and look, the whole town. I think for those of us who were old enough, truly old enough to remember, that first trip to the Super Bowl was was mind-boggling in this town, the excitement. It, it was just incredible. First time the team had been there, we saw that again. Uh, Boomer Esiason and that group in 88, uh, and then this group last year. Uh, but, but the whole town seems to have sort of shifted uh, in its following of the Bengals. Uh, would you have ever imagined it would be like it is now? Oh, yeah. I know how, how great the fans are. And, you know, you've you got to give them a reason to be excited. And, and certainly a lot of things in the 90s, the Bengals gave them no reason to be excited. But, uh, you know, we got this kid, uh, this number nine kid with Joe Burrow. <laughs> I think he's going to be a, a pretty good player. You know, they, they've got, uh, you know, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase. They, they've got... Uh, you know, they got a, a good defense, and, and, and they're just a likable bunch of guys. And, you know, there's there's no egos on the team. Uh, you know, uh, the thing I love about this team is, is their, their selflessness, that they pull for each other. Um, they know what it takes to win, um, and they're willing to pay the price to do the things that it takes to win and, and not complain about it. They like to be around each other and you know, classic example, you know, you know, at one game, you know, Tyler Boyd at one time was uh, the number one guy here. Well, now we got Jamar Chase, we got T. Higgins, and he goes kind of through the whole game and, you know, no targets, no targets, touchdown, he gets, he wins the game. You know, this is the, the, the kind of team that they have. And, and uh, you know, they got great leadership and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just so proud of them, you know. Uh, when when Zach was uh, hired, they talked about he talked about culture, creating the culture that he wanted in the locker room. And yeah, well, they don't win many games. Yeah, you take that culture stuff, and you know what you can do with it. Well, all of a sudden, he you know after three years, he gets the guys in the locker room, and we saw what happened last year. And I think that's going to continue for a long time. If you uh, have you met Joe Burrow, I've only met him once uh, since he was drafted. You know the the. The COVID protocols were, were tough for me to get anywhere near the, the building. And uh, so now I met him after one of the OTA practices and uh, had a, a, a little talk with him. And, you know, it was about five minutes, a, a great talk. And, 
you know, and, and uh, I said, we got to spend some more time together. And he said, well, give me a call next time you're in town. Well, you know, I, we were back in Cincinnati and then I were back in Hilton Head. And, you know, can we get back a couple times a year uh, during the football season? But uh, I hope I could this off season I get a chance to, to spend a little time with them. What, you know, what a kind of, great guy. Oh, there, there's no, no doubt. And much like you grew up in a small little town, uh, you know, uh, down in Athens, Ohio. Um, and like you did in Batavia, Illinois. If, if, if he were to ask you, look, uh, he has had just extraordinary success in a very short amount of time. Uh, his first year he got hurt, he comes back. You know, next year, uh, you know, they're off to the Super Bowl. Uh, and here he is now and trying to get him back there again. But, 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 but when, when, you, when you have the kind of success he's having, you've had it, been a league MVP, taking your team to a Super Bowl. What might be something that you would share with him or somebody like him um, in moving forward in your career to make sure you do or don't do what? Well, I would say just, you know, make sure that you enjoy what you're doing, you know, and, and kind of smell the roses. And, and, and during the season, it's, it's kind of tough. And, you know, he's a, a nose to the grindstone kind of guy in, in his preparation but you know uh make sure you enjoy the the process and, and and actually that's one of the great things about this team is that they do enjoy the process and so you know he's he's a well-grounded guy you know and and he doesn't play for the accolades he doesn't play for the headlines he plays to win and to win with his teammates and i think that's what's going to sustain him um, you recently moved back to Cincinnati. Why? Well, you know, I got to spend uh, the first 13 years of my retirement uh, down in Hilton Head, you know, playing all the golf that I can. And, you know, the like I said, my youngest, most active years were down there riding bikes, going to the beach, you know, had, had a great time. And, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, I got six grandkids between the ages of 11 and three. And, you know, when I only see you know, my, my granddaughter plays competitive volleyball and I see one match a year and I, I went a couple months ago and she's playing and she's serving. Where'd this rocket of a serve come? She's got a jump <laughs> serve now at 11. And I, I said, how'd I miss that? I've got a, another grandson, um, you know, that plays flag football. And, uh, you know, I, I think I can help him out a little bit with that. The, the, the others are playing, you know, indoor soccer, basketball, you know, just, just to be around that. And, uh, I said that the nice thing is now we're going to be up here full time and everybody said, oh, God, you're coming back to this weather. Well, you know, before I left, we had a nice little get together at our, our club down in Hilton Head. And, and all these people came up and said, can anytime you want to come down, you can stay with us. I said, I'm wearing a wire. I have this all on tape. <laughs> so uh, when I call, I said, we're going to come down for a week. So, you know, if we get uh, get uh, where we need a little warm weather, I need a little more golf. Uh, we go back to Hilton Head for a week. Well, Kenny, it's just great having you back in town. It's great having you on the program today. I can't thank you enough for, uh, for making the time uh, to join us here today. And I know one day you're going to get that call for the whole uh, Hall of Fame, but I made the comment before you came on. You have just always been, whether it was your days as a player, um, I got to know you once you were in the media, if you will, you know, back in your <laughs> days as an anchor. You know, you, you always treated people like a million bucks, uh, you know, and, and, and for those of us who were so young and, you know, might have been intimidated being around a Kenny Anderson, uh, you always made everybody feel like they were on top of the world. So uh, thank you for your time today and thank you for being Kenny Anderson. 
Well, and thank you for having me, Tom. And, uh, it, you know, it's always a pleasure. And the reason I got out of the, the, the broadcast business was is lack of talent, uh, I think, was uh, the, the, main, <laughs> the main reason. You know, I, I, and a little story about broadcasting, if you've got time, that, you know, yeah. uh, I, I've been doing it. Uh, you know, I had a, a call-in uh, radio show on WKRC, uh, and, and I did the morning sports with Jerry Thomas, which was the best job I've ever had getting to work with him. Of course, my first sports show was at 5.30 in the morning, so it was some early mornings, and did a little TV reporting with Nick Clooney, and, and then Charlie Meacham was the head of Great American Broadcasting, and, and he said, you know, Ken, you know, I want you to be this. You know, it took me, me and Jerry Thomas to Muirfield every year to play golf. And we're up there walking down the first hole, and, and he said, Ken, I really want you to, to, to be the sports anchor. And I, oh, I said, Charlie, I don't know about that. I said, Don Burrow's a good friend of mine. And then I, and they said, well, Don's not going to be there anyway. I want you to do it. Well, how do you say no to the CEO? So this is, you know, kind of in June, and, and I'm going to start it in August. And and so uh, kind of getting ready for it, you know, and did a little bit. It was a disaster when we started off. But I get a call from HBO, and that's when they had inside uh, the NFL with uh, Nick Bonacani and Lenny Dawson. And they wanted to add a third person. And I go, this is great, you know. And uh, the news director would not let me do it. Oh. Um See, he didn't want his new anchor to be gone two nights a week to, to start it off. And, and so I didn't get a chance to even try that out. And had that worked out, I don't know where broadcasting would have gone. But I, I knew right then that being a sports anchor wasn't for me. And uh, so I, I'd always wanted to coach anyway. And that, that's when I started to explore the options and was lucky that uh, Dave Shula gave me a chance for my first coaching job in the NFL. Kenny, <laughs> thanks for the time today. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.